This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Liz, the chief mom officer, and when I'm not busy being the breadwinner of my family of five, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and hey there, Stacker, because today is Brian Wilson's birthday. It's beach day here at Broadcast Central, and while these two dorks sit in the basement, the second I'm done with this, I'm headed down the street to the swimming hole. Today, we'll ditch the sunglasses, though, because we're going to read a pile of your letters. From credit card debt to retirement plans to diversification, we're talking about an ocean of retirement topics. And that's not all. In today's headline segment, Vanguard is changing up their 401k, and you're going to be surprised what fund they're kicking to the curb. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to our newest best friend, Heather, who asks about paying down debt and tackling goals. How does she prioritize? We'll also prioritize my trivia. Yeah, that goes right to the top. And now, two guys who have to wear SPF 120 when they head down to the beach, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. OG needs more like SPF 150. No, 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 no. I am a golden brown, baby. Golden brown what? Tan, look at that. Look oh. at that. That is, that is just smooth, sun-kissed skin. Oh, boy. Welcome, everybody, to Wednesday. It's hump day. Fantastic day here in the basement. While uh, we get rid of Doug going down to the beach, we get to party with you taking on your letters, and I'm so excited about today. But let's tell you whose voice is whose. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me. It is my partner here on the show, Mr. OG. See, look at my tan line right here. See? No. It's pretty. Uh, no. It's where we wear my mankini. No, you know what we need to do? We need to talk about magnify money right now. Stat. All caps. Stat. Please magnify money. Save us. Well, magnify money will save you to the tune of $450 that you can use to tell OG to show other people his tan line. <laughs> <laughs> whether it's no your, that ends badly i've where, i've tried that party trick in a bar before. whether it's your checking account your savings account whatever it might be those uh student loans that need to be refinanced or looking for the best credit card reward offer magnified money has it all over 92 percent of the things that you use over 92% of the products you use every day to manage your money, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money to compare, ditch, switch, and save. And we're also today brought to you by The Stacker. Guess what? We're coming to Philadelphia. Well, not we. It's like the royal we, meaning me. I'm I coming. can come to Philadelphia. Well, come on. When is it? We're hooking up with the guys from Choose FI to put on a really fun event. It's going to be in Philadelphia on the 22nd of July. We don't know where yet. 
where I'm final approach for the where, but you know how you find out where? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker puts you on our newsletter. You'll get something roughly once a week from us that not only talks about that, it talks about our tour as we're taking the live show on the road to Orlando, Kansas City, and Detroit this fall. Uh, thanks to Bloom for helping us with that. Uh, StackyBenjamins.com forward slash stacker for more. Going to be fun. I think it's funny that as soon as I go, hey, I can come, and you go, great, uh, we don't know exactly where it is yet, so somewhere in Philadelphia. Oh, look at the everybody time. Everybody else get the newsletter. It probably will be in there, wink, wink. Hey, we got some headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Barron's, this written by Leslie P. Norton. Jack Bogle, you know who that guy is? Mm, heard of him. Jack Bogle defends Vanguard's 401k changes. I thought this was interesting. Still his baby, I guess. When did he uh, retire? 20 years ago? Yeah, and still, still stays in the action. Vanguard Group is removing its flagship 500 index fund, which tracks the S&P 500 from its employees' 401k plan. Hmm. Getting rid of it. Okay. Everybody else using that index. Vanguard says, our employees aren't going to use it. It sounds pretty shocking until you talk to Jack Bogle, inventor of the index fund, as we did. Bogle, who never shies away from poking at the firm that he founded but left 20 years ago, shrugged his shoulders. Not a big problem. They're trying to simplify. There really are a lot of choices, he told Barron's. Indeed, that was Vanguard's thinking. According to the plan as recorded in the Philadelphia Inquirer, Vanguard's dropping 12 funds from its employee 401k retirement plan. It'll now offer 15 funds down from 27 plus a target date series. By contrast, the average defined contribution plan offers 18 funds of which participants use. How many funds on average do you think the average person uses? 2.6. 2.5. Nice job. Around half of all 401k participants invest in a single target date fund. Let's go back over that. Because I just heard another podcast where a dude said target date funds don't suck. Ah, I saw I saw a Twitter article about that. I was going to I was going to go on the offensive, chose not to. Most target date funds suck. And around half of 401k participants invest in a single target date fund. In a statement, Vanguard said that it streamlined its retirement plan quote to simplify the offerings and preserve a broad choice of low-cost active and index funds, stock balanced and bond. The plan will continue uh, the popular target retirement fund series, which by the way, we talk about target funds date funds sucking. Those do not. Those are fine. Fine. Our building block index funds, total stock, total bond, total international stock, total international bond, and supplemental choices such as our oldest active funds, Windsor Fund, Wellington Fund, and Prime Cap Fund, end quote. Uh, in addition, Vanguard called the total stock market index fund the best proxy for the U.S. market. That's what they said. So you want the U.S. market? Kick the S&P 500 to the curb, they say. Instead, use the total stock market. So, conspiracy theory, here's mine. 500 index fund is 0.04 on the expense ratio, right? Really cheap. Race to the bottom. Everybody, eh, I'm not doing it unless it's 0.03, right? So, okay, fine, 0.04. What are the expense ratios on the target date funds? More or less than 0.04, do you think? Oh, definitely more. Maybe 0.315. Still fantastic. Of course. So, again... We say all the time, it's not about the fees, right? It's not the, it's not that until, unless it is. And in this case, I bet it is. I bet this is them going, yeah, most people are going to pick this anyway. If we just eliminate this one choice that everybody likes or these 15 choices more specifically and, or 12, right? They're getting rid of 12. Most people are going to pick the target date funds anyway. Now this will force those who are kind of on the fence pick up another 10 basis points, which doesn't seem like a lot, right? Until you manage a trillion dollars. And then I don't even know the math on that. What is that? A billion dollars? What is that? <laughs> a tenth of a percent of a trillion is a billion? I'm not sure, but it sounds right. They lose money on every deal, but they make it up on volume. That's all they I know. They make it up on volume. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's right. all I know. Send us your conspiracy theory because I just don't understand why you get rid of the S&P 500. Yeah. Don't understand it. Uh, our second piece comes to us from Napa-Net, National Association of Plan Advisors. Those are the people that manage 401k funds, uh, pension funds. 
This is written by Ted Gobbaut. Many millennials planning to retire either early or not at all. Nobody wants to retire on time. <laughs> I love that. When are you going to retire? Well, put me down. Let's see the plan. Uh, let's build a plan for um, uh, retiring early. I want to. I want to take a look at that. Or um, put me down for never. Like those are the two options I'd like to shoot for. Millennials have high expectations about when they plan to retire and how much they plan to retire with. But achieving their desired goals will take some adjustments, according to new survey results. TD Ameritrade's 2018 Millennials and Money Survey of more than 1,500 adults ages 21 to 37 finds, on average, millennials expect to retire at age 56. By the way, who expects to retire earlier, men or women? Uh, men. Men. Men, 53. Women, yeah. 59. Big okay. difference. Yeah. One's realistic and one's not. You're saying 53 is realistic? <laughs> probably not. I would say I would say probably not. Yet, large cohorts of the generation said they do not plan to start saving for retirement until age 36. So magically, I'm So gonna, tomorrow, I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to retire at age 53, but I'm going to start at 36. And I'm going to click my heels together three times every time I put money in my 401k and say there's no place like retirement. There's no place like retirement. I could do the math on that and suggest that maybe it's not going to work. Here's the other thing that I really think is a is a big miss in most of the financial calculators, financial planning calculators I see online. What do you think that the average life expectancy is in an online financial planning calculator? What do most people default to? I'd say uh, like 82. I think it's higher than that. I think most of the time you'll see most planning calculators give you 91 and some of them 95. I think that's a huge miss. I think it's huge by 15 years. We're already doing a hundred and I feel really concerned about using a hundred. I think it should be 110. Let's look at the life expectancy changes, right? I agree. Yeah. How, how often do we have guests on the show that say the same thing? I mean, these are smart people. Yeah. that know this data inside out. There's a podcast I listened to with Peter Diamandis, mm -hmm. gosh, a year ago. And he was talking about one of his companies is called like Longevity Institute or something like that. I, I, you know, whatever, some kind of name like that. But they have a test. It's very expensive, $25,000 or something. Head to toe, it scans you basically. And pretty reasonably can tell you, allegedly, here are the things that are going to go wrong with you as you get older, Yeah. right? And imagine being 40 and having some discretionary income and having a doctor or a specialist say, here's what we think might happen. Sometime around your 80s, you're going to have this, or it looks like this is trending. They have now machines that can identify cancerous cells the size of the head of a pin and eliminate it before it can grow. You know, we look at life expectancy through the eyes of our parents and our grandparents. Like, well, grandma died when she was 85. My uncle Bob died when he was 83. So I must be going at 87. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Their parents died when they were 60. <laughs> you know, it went 60, 80. Your parents are going to be 90s or 100. And then where are you going to be, you know, in another generation? So this idea of retiring at 50 is a great idea. I love it. But don't plan on the plan ending, right? <laughs> Sometime in your 80s or 90s. I think if you're going to plan the early retirement piece, you also have to plan long, long retirement, right? Plan for 100, plan for 110. And not a traditional retirement either. I love this idea of instead of retirement, did we do this, this was like a couple of weeks ago where we're talking about quarter by quarter? Uh, think of your life in 25-year increments and you've got, you know, like quarters of a football game. And you get to 53, you're just starting the third quarter. Yeah, halfway. Yeah. yeah. Lots, lots to, to mull on there. I like this quote. I think we'll end this on this quote. Quote, this is a financially optimistic group, speaking of millennials, that's feeling positive about the economy, the job market, their own plans. However, they'll need to develop savings and investing habits that'll help them reach some pretty big goals. <laughs> Notes J.J. Kinahan, chief strategist for TD Ameritrade. Sounds like something mom would say. I think he nailed the first point. The second is uh, Vanguard probably some conspiracy theory stuff going on there. There's no unrealistic goals, just unrealistic timeframes. 
so excited to tell you about our guest today because it's you. We got the mailbag open. We got tons of letters. We are still woefully behind on letters while we're largely, we, we maybe have a few uh, Haven Lifeline calls and Bloom calls in the queue, but um, not nearly the line there that there is for letters. So we're going to tech the mailbag today. We're going to start off with this one from Robin. Robin says, hi guys, been listening to your show regularly for the past year now. I'm a payroll accountant. I'm thoroughly impressed with your knowledge of payroll taxes. Something I should know, but don't, and I'm too lazy to research on my own time when I don't have to think about payroll-related topics, is why are 401k loans considered a negative? I know they're a bad idea for employees who are looking to borrow more than they can pay back in a short amount of time in the event of termination. However, I'm very secure in my work position. I have some outstanding credit card debts from my rambunctious 20s when I have more exciting things to do than listen to financial podcasts. My interest rates are embarrassingly high, over 20% in some cases. I've considered a personal loan, but due to the fact I have limited collateral and a credit score and repair, the loan rates I've been offered are between 11 to 15%. I could take a 401k loan for 5.5%, which is enticing, but I want to see why people say to steer clear of this option. Thanks for all the laughs, thought-provoking content, and Doug, best Robin. I think to understand, Robin, the uh, 401k loan Q&A you have to kind of understand how it works, right? Most people just kind of assume when you are taking a 401k loan, you're taking your money out of the 401k, right? But that's not exactly what happens. If you look at the mechanics of it, what's really happening? Well, really the custodian of your 401k is the one that's lending you the money. So let's say that your 401k is at Fidelity and you have $100,000 in your 401k plan balance and, um, uh, you can take up to 50,000 or 50% of that, right? So so you say, I'm going to take my 50,000. Well, Fidelity is the one that's lending you the 50,000. It's not coming out of your 401k. And you can see that when you look at the, 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 the statement, right? It'll say loan balance or loan fund. And so what happens is they lend you the money and they take a commensurate amount out of your account and hold it in a guaranteed fund you know, like a cash reserve, basically, as collateral against the fact that you might not pay it back. That's why they could charge you such low interest because you are collateralizing your loan to your point from before about the personal loans. And so that's why you get a low interest. So Fidelity makes all sorts of money because they've got this cash bucket that is available for them to invest in their business however they want. Meanwhile, you're slowly repaying that and they're charging, you know, a, a admin fee and that sort of thing. Now, it's enticing because people say, well, I'm just paying myself back the interest. Kind of. Let's look at the mechanics of it again. What really happens is that you pay your 401k loan back with after-tax money. So you put it in pre-tax, take it out after-tax, right? And so now, or generally, unless it's a Roth plan, right? So, so now you're putting it back uh, with 30% more, call it taxes, if you live in a high-tax state. The second thing that you have to be aware of is while that money is out of the 401k, it's not taking advantage of whatever's happening in the market. So there's a cost associated with that. Now, you could get lucky and have the market go down a whole bunch and you could be effectively dollar cost averaging back in over the next five years. And technically, I guess you'd probably end up being right, you know, if that ended up happening. But um, I'm not exactly sure that you want to take that bet over a long period of time. That's the big thing for me. I think the compounding interest uh, piece is underestimated. And a lot of people take 401k loans while the balances are, you know, in a spot where you really need them to grow. And if you take that money off the table and you don't get that compounding interest, you delay what inevitably you want, which is that last doubling before you start taking out the money. You have to, you you really need that last double that goes from a million to 2 million or, you know, uh, 1.5 to three or whatever it is. That last double won't happen as quickly because you're busy paying back the loan. Unless, unless, and this doesn't happen, you can do both. If you can contribute, continue contributions as is and take the 401k loan, you're still going to get behind because all that money's sitting there. But I never see people do that either, OG. The compounding effect of this on the other side is people generally scale back their contributions while they're repaying the loan. So you're effectively trying to make the same payment twice. Right. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely not the best. What I would do is contact the creditors. You may have already done this, Robin, but contact the creditors Tell them that 20% is too much. 
ask them for a better rate. You know, if they don't give you a better rate, take the personal loan. If it's at 11 and the credit cards are at 20, you're still making progress on that. The key thing is, is you still have to pay aggressively. You know, I was doing an analysis for somebody on um, a student loan refinance. It's like, hey, should I kind of, my student loans are with the government. They're 6.4. This other place is offering 4.3, you know, that sort of thing. But to get the 4.3, I got to pay it off in like five years, which is going to increase my payment by 300 bucks instead of the 20-year plan that I'm on right now with the government. And the interesting thing is, is that the interest rate really matters, but the faster that you pay it, the less that interest rate does matter. Yeah, it looks like a 2% difference and you go, well, you know, that adds up to be, you know, $1,000 of interest difference or something like that. And that's not small potatoes, but the big lever in that debate isn't the interest rate, it's the payment amount. You know what I mean? And so the key to paying down consumer debt isn't always necessarily, you know, trying to shop for the lowest rate or whatever, although that can help. I think it's really the focus is extra, extra, extra payments because that'll snowball it much, much faster. Thanks for the question, Robin. Uh, next question comes to us from VJ. VJ says, I've started listening to your podcast recently and it's entertaining and awesome. Double threat, OG. Yes. Double threat. That's me. What are your thoughts on diversification? Is it based on geography or sector? And what percentage in each should you have? Diversification question. Um, I pick C, none of the above. I don't think it's based on geography or sector, although by default, you kind of tick both of those off. I'm looking more at asset classes. So when we come to defining an investment allocation or an investment solution for clients, what we're first trying to come up with is what's the required rate of return to make the plan work, right? Too many people think of it the other way around and say, how much risk can I take? And that's something important to talk about. By the way, they don't mean risk, they mean volatility. But what we're thinking about is, well, what is what do we have to do to make the plan work? You know, just because I can take a whole bunch of volatility in my portfolio doesn't necessarily mean I need to have it, right? There's there's pros and cons for that. If I'm building my plan and I only need a 7% return, but my investments are slated to grow at 10, then I'm adding a ton of variability into the portfolio that's not necessary. And if that's the case, why not have a more aggressive goal, you know, to kind of offset that uh, that volatility? And so step one is, kind of begin with the end in mind, what kind of return do I need? And then step two, what sort of asset classes can I put together to give me a high likelihood of getting that rate of return over a long period of time? And so kind of the big blocks that I think about are big and small companies in the U.S., growth and value companies in the U.S. So you could have kind of, there's kind of four there, right? So you could have big growth companies, big value companies, small growth companies, small value companies. And then the same thing internationally. I want to think about a little bit of emerging market, right? So up and coming countries and economies, and then a little bit of real estate. There's a tool that you can use called the Efficient Frontier. You can Google the website for it. There's a number of resources that are free, but you can put in some parameters and say, what's the correct combination of these things to give me risk and return that's kind of commensurate with a unit of risk gets me a unit of return type of thing. So so I think about it in terms of asset classes, and then by default, you're going to cover all your sectors. You're going to cover all, cover all your geography. Generally speaking, I think sector bets are a little more risky because in a lot of sectors, many of the companies move together on most days. Obviously, if there's news out of one company, that company is going to bounce around differently than the others will in the marketplace. But um, you know, if I'm making a technology bet versus uh, betting on the S&P 500. The S&P 500 will have companies from all different sectors in it versus just just a single sector. So I always feel like when I when I begin moving to a certain sector of the marketplace, I'm taking on more risk when I do that. Doesn't make it good or bad, just something I think, oh, geez, a lot of people don't recognize. Yep. Next question comes here is from Matt. Matt says, I'm listening to your latest podcast, first one I've listened to, and I just got the long-term care part of the show. My brother-in-law turned down long-term care insurance because he wasn't yet 50. Well, now he's 50. He's had a brain aneurysm and can't hardly walk, can't talk, and needs 24-7 care. May seem stupid at the time, but I bet his wife wishes he would have had insurance for everything they've had to endure the last few years. Thanks for the question, Matt. He's referring to statements that we make about long-term care being at age 50. And this is actually, Matt makes an interesting point, OG. 
because of the fact that long-term care, like any risk management decision, is about the probability of something happening. So you can also say that I turned down hurricane insurance because I don't live in a place where hurricanes normally hit. And there's a freak of nature, one year out of a thousand thing happens and my house gets taken out by a hurricane. It can happen. A brain aneurysm can happen to anybody. And still, so, so I still, I get it. I feel horrible for Matt's brother-in-law. I understand it, but risk management is exactly that. It's it's risk versus reward. That's what actuaries do. That's what we did when we made the comment that before age 50, you've got a lot of other things. It doesn't mean bad stuff can't happen to you before age 50. It can. And long-term care probably would have covered it, but I'm still going to stand by age 50 and up is when you want to look at long-term care. Well, and there's other things too that you can do in the meantime, right? So a really strong disability policy in your earning years Good point. is as as important, if not more important than something like life insurance. And this is a uh, a sad example of that. We talk about the big things, right? Like, well, what happens if I get hit by a bus, you know, and, you know, I'm not around to provide for my family anymore. You know, they need X millions of dollars of coverage, right? Well, and then you look at the cost of that and you say, it's so inexpensive. There's a reason for that. It's because the likelihood of that happening is so remote, right? But you cover it anyway. But then on the other hand, you know, and I see this when I talk to clients, the life insurance discussion is real easy. Hey, let's send the kids to college, pay for the house, pay off all the bills, make sure the family's taken care of. Boom. You need 3 million. They go, great. How much is it? Thousand bucks a year. Cool. I'm in. Right. And then you go, hold on a second. Part two of our risk management discussion, to your point, Joe, is let's talk about what happens if you can't work for an extended period of time. Now, to fully insure your income, that's going to cost $4,000 a year. Now, I don't want to do that. That's too much money. You know, but then you kind of look at that and go, well, again, let's dissect why is it 4000 bucks instead of 1000 <laughs> right. You know, it's because from a probability standpoint, there is a greater risk associated with being in an accident or having a illness or injury like, you know, like he's talking about. So hopefully, you know, he's taken full advantage of the resources that are available. If he was working, there's probably a group disability policy there. It's going to help assuage a little bit of that. Social security disability is a little more challenging to get, but shouldn't be too challenging in his case, right? If he's not working uh, full time and doesn't really have any, if he's not working full time, you know, it takes a little bit more time to kind of go through the process of social security. So there are a couple of resources there, hopefully that his brother-in-law's family can help, uh, help take care of that. But you're right. Um, you get those one in a thousand year floods, you know, doesn't matter how, how high up the mountain you are, if it's going to flood, it's going to flood, you know? And at that moment you go, damn, I wish I had flood insurance. Yeah. You know? Next question comes to us from Adam. Adam says, I just recently graduated and I want to start saving more as I've also started a job. Slightly under seven years too, Adam. Congratulations. <laughs> Are you making fun of how long it took me? Is that what you're doing? Because you're looking no, right at took, me. It definitely, I was going to say, we could probably both compare how long it took us to uh, get through college and we'd be probably pretty close. Right at me. <laughs> Together, you and I should have like seven PhDs is what we should have. <laughs> the amount of time we spent in college. I was... Working a lot of jobs to pay my own way through college. Uh, I opened a savings account, but I want to do more to grow my extra money that I save. Any advice or direction? Thanks, Adam. Great, great question. Great place to start, Adam. I, and, and by the way, you want to do this right away because you just yes. got a huge raise. And if you if you don't know that you have the money, you're more likely to uh, never miss it. This is a conversation I've been having with myself lately, as well as with a lot of other people randomly about the concept of enough. We all remember those of us who've been around a little while, you know, remember those first jobs out of school, remember, you know, making 20,000 thinking, gosh, if I can make 40, then I'll be totally rich. I'll have so much extra money. It'll be crazy. And then, then you make 40,000 and you think, you know, if I could just make 60 this year, like somehow string together 60,000, my goodness, I'll have so much money. It'll be crazy. And then 60 comes and goes, you know, just that lifestyle thing, right? The rich dad, poor dad, how much is enough? I watched the movie, The Greatest Showman with my kids because my kids like that stuff. And I'd seen it on an airplane. I thought it was pretty good. 
And that message is very easy to pick up. Like my 11 year old got it right. The message is be happy with what you have. You don't need to like always get more, right? The wall street quote, how much do you need more? Right. So I think a lot about how my life would be if, if when I was 22, somebody would have grabbed me by the earlobes and said, no, no, dude, no matter what you save 30% of your income, like just start doing it with the first paycheck. You won't never, you, you won't ever know it's not there if yeah, you do it. Right. So whatever you can do, like right now, make that a commitment to yourself in terms of uh, how you're going to develop your life from here on out. Because, because you're right, Joe, when you go from making like 10 bucks an hour, you know, working at the sugar shack or something like that to like now all of a sudden, you know, you got a real engineering job and you're making 60 grand. That's so much money beyond what you're used to. Like you couldn't possibly think of a way to spend it until you do. And then it's too late. You know how much Nintendo 60 grand gets you? Yeah, exactly. So uh, easy things, right? Max out the 401k, build the cash reserve, start the Roth IRA and fully fund it. But mainly make that systematic, right? Pay yourself first every paycheck. Books will say 10%. Books will say 15%. Books will say 20%. Some people say, say 50%. I've heard that in these parts before, you know. At the end of the day, pick a number, 25, 30%. Be really aggressive and start day one. And after that, you're going to be uh, you're going to be on easy street, you know, 15 years from now. And the reason you're on easy street is because what you're developing is this second person who's like you, this, this money that goes to work every day. And listen, when you've got 10 bucks saved and that 10 bucks goes to work like you and I do every day, the 10 bucks ain't making much money. But that 10 bucks becomes a thousand, that that 10 bucks becomes a thousand, that thousand becomes 10,000, 10,000 becomes a hundred thousand, hundred thousand goes to work for you every day, brings home a nice little chunk of change for you. Bring some bacon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just think of it this way. Like right now, if you, if you know, you're out of college, you're making 50 grand a year. It's not unheard of that in 15 years from now, when you're like 35, 37, it's not not off the reservation that you might make $150,000, right? Like that's a pretty good career progression. Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine if you're saving 30% of your income and by the time you're 37, you're saving $50,000 a year. By the time 15 years from now comes, you're saving more than you originally made out of school on an annual basis. And your lifestyle continued to increase. You still got all of those increases in lifestyle. You just started back you know, in the starting blocks a little bit longer than everybody else. You didn't jump right out and go, I'm going to go from zero to 60. You said, I'm going to go from zero to 40. And it's a number you're used to. So it's no big deal. Exactly. Where it's a huge deal for other families. It's not for you. I also like uh, early on established financial controls where you're able to uh, set up a budget of how much money you spend. And on the other side, look at uh, how you spent money. So, you know, a couple resources, We like our friend Mitchell Walker's pouch plan. If you want to keep it super simple, a lot of people swear by YNAB. Uh, YNAB, you need to budget is a good plan. You know, Cheryl and I use clarity money to track Mm -hmm. our money, to just look at how we spent money and stay on the same page. So depending on what works for you, a lot of our friends use Tiller, you know, go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Tiller if you want to track and budget that way. And we also just did a, a video a couple of weeks ago with Tiller. So if you go to our Facebook page and just scroll down, you'll see Peter Polson from Tiller and I talking with a lot of our Stacky Benjamins family about uh, Tiller and how it works and showing all the spreadsheets. But set up some, some financial controls early on. One thing that my kids did when they graduated and got their job was applied for decent credit cards and attach those credit cards to Debitize. So Debitize is a uh, it's a company that pays off your credit card like it's a debit card. So you buy something, plane tickets or whatever, using your credit card instead of a debit card, and Debitize takes the money out of your account and pays the bill. Then you also get used to, oh gee, not running up your credit card. And you, you get very used to uh, keeping a zero balance on your credit card. And now my kids are a year out of college and have excellent credit. And now they're eligible for the high reward card, the high reward point card early on. And they have uh, good financial controls. And also because we had those conversations early. One thing I like for parents out there, I know this is nothing to do anymore with Adam's question, but the other thing I like OG is that uh, we still have money talks in our family. You know, they're off on their own and we can get together and talk about our money together because we talked a lot about it as kids. And it's not this taboo that it is for a lot of families, which I also love. 
which is why I'm fairly certain they don't have uh, credit card debt because they still talk about the financial controls and the way they pay their bill and uh, high-fiving each other about being eligible for the for the better reward cards, which, by the way, aren't worth it if you don't pay off your bill because that's right. a 2% reward doesn't compare favorably to a 23% interest rate. <laughs> Next question. Uh, oh, you know what? Here he comes. Speaking of uh, bronze, Doug back from bronzer. the beach. Bronzer. Yeah, it's bronzer. <laughs> Doug back from the beach with his uh, with uh, some trivia. So let's uh, refill the coffee cup, OG, and uh, we're going to turn this over to Doug for a second. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just came back from the swimming hole where me and all my fans. All right, fine. It was two random strangers, but they're fans now. Anyway, we were hanging out celebrating Mr. Beach Boy himself, Brian Wilson's birthday. You know, to keep this shimmering tan, I am applying this awesome new sunscreen Joe's mom has in the cupboard. It's called Crisco, I think. It comes in this huge quantity. I've become this golden brown-like color, and I'm all warm inside. As you know, I have quite a reputation to keep because every time I take off my shirt at the beach, all the ladies scream. (laughs) I know, it's a gift. Hey, here's a gift for you, today's trivia. And let's send out this Beach Boys question. What is the Beach Boys' biggest selling song? I'll have the answer right after I finish lathering up. You know, one of the most asked questions we get here in the basement is, how do I find better interest rates than are at my bank? I'm trying to save money, but this 0.01 or 0.02 that my brick and mortar bank is offering isn't doing the trick. We like, and this is why they sponsor our show, we ask them to sponsor our show, by the way, Magnify Money, because at Magnify Money, you'll find more places to compare, ditch that brick and mortar, switch to a better interest rate and save. And let's take a look and see what we have at Magnify Money right now. And so to use mom's phrase, we'll uh, go to stackofbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money so they know that we sent you. That's the mom phrase. And I'm now at Magnify Money and I take a look at savings accounts with one click It's coming up and take a look at this. The top interest rate right now in a savings account, 1.9%. So instead of 0.2 or 0.1, we're now at 1.9 without having to go to a CD. Or when I look at that specific account, very quickly, I can see a few things and two of them I don't like. One is that the minimum deposit's $10,000. And if I don't have that, I don't like it. And then the other one is on a school grade from A to F. Uh, Magnify Money lists the fine print score as a C, meaning that there's lots of fine print in that deal. But if I go down to 1.85%, I can go to Salem 5 Direct, which gets a B for fine print and has a minimum deposit of one penny instead. See how easy that was? I've got all kinds of things that I can compare there. And it's not just with savings accounts. It's also with reward credit cards, parent plus loan refinance, student loan refinance, personal loans, small business loans, uh, secured credit cards, low interest credit cards, 0% cards, balance transfers, you name it. It's all at Magnify Money Plus, an award-winning blog over there. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money when you're ready to compare, ditch, switch, and save. You know, we're headed out on a big tour this fall. We're busy planning it right now. We're headed to three cities, Orlando, Kansas City, and Detroit. And we're going to have lots of information coming up soon. You know, the first place we share that is in the Stacker, which is our nearly weekly newsletter, Uh, comes magically to your email address. We also, from time to time, I've made a commitment to go meet the people who uh, like to stack Benjamins like we do here in the basement. And that means we're coming to Philadelphia for a meetup. You can hang out not just with me, but with a bunch of other podcasting finance nerds like my friends from the Choose FI podcast. So if you... Want to be up to date on all that, plus get uh, Joe's ruminations. Ruminations, is that a word? About finance in general. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker. Sign up for the stacker. Here's the deal there. It's always going to be free. You can always unsubscribe whenever you want. Mom puts hers on the refrigerator, though. She absolutely loves it, and I think you will too. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker. Hey, 
everybody, Heads. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this new sunblock called Crisco is great, but man, does it stick to your hands. Hey, is it hot in here? Hey, somebody want to crank up the air conditioning? Oh, yeah. Thanks, so, OG. Cool. Anyway, today's trivia question was this. What is the Beach Boys' biggest selling song? If you said, wouldn't it be nice, I'd say, wouldn't it be nice if you weren't wrong all the time and you actually said good vibrations, which is the correct answer? You know, Good Vibrations was the Beach Boys' highest charted song where it stayed at number one for two weeks. Anyway, King can't be away from his throne for too long, so I am headed back to the swimming hole to show everybody my golden tan. Here I come, fans. See ya. Swing and a miss. You're such a big Beach Boys fan. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you got that wrong. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know... I didn't have much appreciation for the Beach Boys either until I saw that Beach Boys movie, the Brian Wilson and History of the Beach Boys biopic. Never in a million years watched that. It was so fantastic. It was so absolutely good. And I had to kind of be dragged to watch it. And not not in this case by my spouse or by friends, but by so many critics that had it on like best of list. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it just because I like watching companies and artistic people and how they work. And it was fascinating. It was fantastic. Hey, speaking of fantastic, how about we throw up Haven Lifeline, OG? This is going to be fantastic because the people at Haven Life will help you tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they are disrupting the life insurance industry. And I love reading about that by focusing on all those things that you value most. Bronzer and Mai Tais. I don't know. Bronzer or your family and your time. Thinking of something at the beach. It's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life right now, pause it, pause us, go get this done right now. You'll get a free estimate for coverage and learn about life insurance the modern way, an incredibly modern way when you head to Haven Life. And today we're throwing out Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Heather. Say hi, Heather. Hey, Joe and OG. I just read an article on CNN that said millennials born in the 1980s, a.k.a. me, are at a significant disadvantage in accumulating wealth and preparing for retirement. I graduated college in 2008 with no debt and money set aside to go through grad school but couldn't find a job until 2011 and eventually had to move to a rural area with lower cost of living and lower job competition to find a job in my field, which I finally got hired in 2017. We're a one-income family. We have about $100,000 in student loan debt. Otherwise, we have no debt. I contribute up to the company match in my 403B, and 10% of my income goes directly into a savings account we found on Magnify Money. Otherwise, how else can we tackle our goals so that we can be financially stable and try to make up for the losses of all the time that we lost with the Great Recession? Would love any ideas that you have. Another side note is based on the work that I do, I may be eligible for public student loan forgiveness in the next couple of years, which would eliminate about half of our student loan debt. So I don't know if it's best to go ahead and apply our extra money, which is about $400 a month towards student loans or if we should continue saving for a rainy day fund and start working towards retirement. Thanks for any ideas you have, but won't learn anything because really all I listen to is just to get resources like Magnify Money and Bloom, which are really where we're getting the most help. Thanks. <laughs> we just Fair enough. I just like the advertisers. The rest, I know. Of, the rest uh, of this is nothing. I have a whole bunch of questions, but I'm not really here to listen to you. Um <laughs> So I love the fact that she's putting 10% in her savings account. This is kind of the other side of that savings account story. You got to stop doing that at some point in time. Cash reserve is one of those slippery things where let's say that you have like four grand in your savings account, right? Like 10 grand sounds really safe and secure until you get to 10 and then you go, you know, it would really feel good would be 15. And then you get to 15 and you go, but 25 would be really swell. If I could have that, that would make me feel really comfortable. And, and it's a real slippery thing. Not that it's the end of the world to have all that money in savings, but you're losing some opportunity. You know, once you get past that six month time frame of expenses, or if you really kind of need to be in the 12 month time frame of expenses, so be it. But, um, you know, you have to think about like, what are the biggest things that could go wrong? The biggest emergency you could possibly imagine 
And how long would it take you to get your way out of that? And that's what a cash reserve is for. Don't let it kind of creep, creep, creep. You know, once you've got to that yeah. level, start taking that 10% and put it in your, you know, your investment fund. And I also think about it this way, the quicker you get that done, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you can do 20%, do 20. Love the fact that you're looking at all the options on the student loans, right? So you get some uh, student loan forgiveness. That's going to help a ton. But again, like we just talked about with Robin a few minutes ago with her letter, what's the best way to get out of debt? Yeah, you can take care of, you know, getting a better interest rate and that sort of thing. But the the only way to get out of debt is to get out of debt. And, um, you know, it sounds like you've taken a lot of those steps that that most people maybe wouldn't even necessarily think of, like moving to lower cost areas and, you know, keeping your housing costs low and that sort of stuff. So I commend you for all those things. You just got to keep your head down. You know, the power of compounding will work in your favor. It doesn't seem like it when it's $10 and $1,000, but it is when it's at 100000 and 300000 and 800000 It does. And so continue to contribute to your 403B. Take that extra 10% as soon as you're maxed out and get that into your investment fund and try to uh, plateau your lifestyle. You know, you mentioned 403B, so maybe you're a teacher, so you don't get a huge pay raise from time to time. That's usually contractual, you know, through your school district and that sort of thing. But when you do get those, take those extra ones and apply them automatically to savings or to that debt pay down. And sometimes you can't do that, but but do your best to do that. And the way that we look at the debt pay down, Heather, versus um, investing the money and saving the money is it's cash flow against interest rate, right? So if cash flow is super duper tight and it's very difficult to get ahead, we'll then look at which debt we can pay down quickly to try to increase cash flow so that you're able to apply that to the debt. Not, not so that you're able to increase your lifestyle because the fact that it stinks We'll just keep the pain point exactly where it is. If you're standing it now, hopefully you can withstand it later and we will continue on that. But if we need to make uh, cash flow loosened up a little bit, we'll go there first. Generally speaking, though, paying off the highest interest rate debt is the way to go. So when it comes to student loans, a lot of the time those are at a low enough interest rate that we don't really worry about them that much. But at a $100,000 balance, that might really cramp your lifestyle uh, when it comes to cash flow. So... If you know which ones might be eligible for income-based or early repayment, I might set those aside and know that you've got an upcoming strategy on those and then begin attacking the other ones if you're worried about cash flow. But knowing that two years from now, things might change, instead of paying money directly to the debt right now, I might set up a debt repayment fund so that if that dream come true, if those get wiped out, doesn't happen, you can then apply that money to the debt and if not, if it turns out that uh, those do get wiped out, then you can decide what to do with that money. Maybe put it someplace more long term if cash flow is no longer an issue. But the one thing I don't think I do, OG, at this point is apply extra principal directly to that debt unless we can identify which one might get wiped out, and which one might not. Yeah. So good stuff there. Thanks for the question. Let's uh, go back to the mailbag here. Question from Nicholas. Actually, not a question, but something cool from Nicholas. Hi, guys. My name's Nick. I'm a 24-year-old dude living with his mom from Providence, Rhode Island. We feel your pain there, Nick. Uh, through your tips and advice on all assets of finance, I was able to pay off $27,000 of student loan debt in two and a half years while getting my credit score to an 818. Bam. How about that? while living on approximately $34,000 a year. Now I'm financially free and I can do the things I want to do. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. That is awesome news. Virtual high five here. You get a lot of good things when you uh, hang out in mom's basement all the time. Free sandwiches, lemonade. And the, the key is to make sure that if you do are hanging out in mom's basement, that you're using that extra money to get ahead. Because you'll hear mm -hmm. stories all the time about people living in mom's basement and just blowing all the rest of the money. Can't do that. Our next question comes to us from Mike. I'm a big believer in passive index fund investing. I manage my Roth and 401k accounts personally, rebalancing a few times a year when necessary. However, I have a significant amount of taxable investments as well. Three years ago, I decided to put that money into Wealthfront. I did so because I figured the tax loss harvesting and direct index investing services they provide would more than make up for the quarter percent fee they charge. So far, I've been extremely happy with them. I wasn't paying super close attention. A few weeks ago, Wealthfront created a risk parity fund 
with a half a percent fee and rebalance my portfolio. So now 20% of my portfolio with them is in this fund. If I'd been paying closer attention, I would have opted out before they made this move. But now it's been done and the long-term capital gains have been realized. I like the idea of risk parity, but I'm concerned about how well the wealth front will execute it. In an ideal world, I would have opted out before they made this move, waited a few years to see how well the fund performed, then opted in. But now that the move has been made, I'm just considering letting it ride. Am I being dumb? <laughs> Great question here from Mike. And I definitely have some thoughts here. What do you think, man? Oh, my goodness. First of all, man, I just have so many things to say about this. And all the hate mail can go to Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Nice. Good work. Please. Um, this is exactly what I knew was going to happen. Like, I kind of want to wave the flag of, I told you so. Like, a robot is not in charge of your money, people. That's a word they came up with. Yes, I'm using the they as all of the bad guys. It's a person who programs the computer. Risk parity funds also, by the way, are bull. Take a look at the performance because they're modeled after, well, they're modeled after a super successful hedge fund. Just take a look at the performance of those hedge funds over the last, I don't know, eight years. Don't, don't we remember the whole Warren Buffett versus hedge fund S&P 500 million dollar bet deal, right? What was the outcome of that? The outcome was the market won by a factor of like 10. It wasn't even in the ballpark of being close. You know, you can look at this from Wealthfront's perspective and say, you know, well, maybe we're just trying to do a solid for our customers. Or you can look at it and say, they had $10 billion. They were charging a quarter percent on. So what's that? $25 million, right? That's their revenue stream. And they looked and went, well, we could take $2 billion of that. We'll create a fund, charge double for that than we do for everything else. And we just spike the amount of money we're banking. And so we're going to take, we're going to take 2 billion off the table at a quarter point. Right. So how much did we lose there? Beep, boop, bop. Now we're going to take 2 billion and put it back on the table. How much did, you know, but we're going to double the fee. It's obvious what was happening, right? It's trying to figure out a way to ring the register because now that they've got an economy of scale, right? They've got $10 billion, whatever the number is. And just like Mike said, they factored in a certain number of people are going to go, Whoa, wait a second. I don't want to do this. It's going to have a huge tax bill and your fund sucks. And this is really a stupid idea. This isn't you know, there are some people that are going to pay attention, but they went, yeah, but the rest of them think it's a robot. So let's do it now in their defense, because of the huge backlash, they did drop the feedback to their normal fee. Right. So so they, they the grand experiment failed. In addition to that, in the three months, I just saw this stat the other day, which is so awesome. In the three months, whatever that this thing has been running, it's down like 13 percent, which is also super awesome because it totally proves my point again. When it's when it's all of this is bullshit. When its job is risk parity. Yes, congratulations. It's down. More <laughs> Anyway, it's just so yes, I think it's really stupid to keep your money in that risk parity fund. And when you don't have we talked about controls a second ago, right? When you don't have controls in your plan, when you don't have controls over your decision making, Weird stuff like this can happen. So all yeah. the gains that you got, all the benefits of having this were literally probably all wiped out in the fact that this thing's down a whole bunch of money when the market would have been up, the fact that they charged a little bit more, the fact that you're going to have to pay taxes on the gain, like all of the benefits of the last three years probably would be my guess were wiped out. Yeah, we haven't talked to people at Wealthfront, so we don't know what what was behind this. But clearly from the outside, I agree with OG. It looks like just a, a money grab. 
And and we also don't know long term if the parity fund is going to rebound and if it'll be a good idea. But just generally speaking, to Mike's point, whenever you have a new fund, you don't want to be the guinea pig that's trying out the new strategy by the new fund manager. I don't want to be that person. I'll let somebody else do it. There's plenty. Listen, these things are commodities, you know, and there's plenty of commodities out there. I don't need the new, new thing uh, where it's not like fashion, where if you wear the new, new thing, people go, ooh, when it comes to managing your money, I want to have reliable, time-tested strategies to do that, uh, that, I, that I'm able to get inside of and understand. And when I've got a brand new fund, I don't think I want to, I don't think Whose I want that. sole purpose is to not gain money, right? <laughs> Risk parity. Seriously, like look it up. What, what's, what's the purpose of these things, right? It's risk arbitrage, which is a net zero game. Like that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's, it's so. It's frustrating, yeah. which also send your money in some place that's not designed to actually make money, which also means Wealthfront to some degree must be betting on the market downturn that we've heard about for the last five years. Right. <laughs> that that, well, that there's that that they're going to win by not losing. You know, hey, if we can get this quick win by not losing and look at what's happened since then. Not uh, not much. Well, I found it really funny that the guy from Wealthfront, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. He had a big tweet like at the end of January, like, hey, we made a hundred million dollars this week. You know, they're really excited about it. But then you go, well, yeah, you have a 10 billion and the market was up one percent. So math. So math still works. I'll take math math for the win, Alex. Yeah. Meanwhile, when the market was down 12%, you didn't see him tweet out, hey, we're down 1.2 billion. <laughs> and, you know, none of that came. But um, anywho, yeah. sorry. You, I, guess, I guess everybody now knows my stake in uh, I, Wealthfront. I was not an early investor. I wish I, I knew how you felt about that. Thanks, yeah. thanks for the Should question, Mike. Should we talk Mike. about bonds next? <laughs> right. <laughs> now that he's riled up, let's hit all the hot buttons. Uh, Get out of it. No, I think that's uh, good. Uh, I think I hear mom calling. So got to go. <laughs> time, time, time to exit stage left now. Uh, da, 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 da. Here comes right. the hook. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, for all of love, the questions. I love these, I love yes. these ones, right? Because you get kind of kind of the nitty gritty for a second. Thanks. If you've got a question for us, uh, best way to go is the Haven Lifeline. Uh, Bloom Please. call for help. Stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page it says questions. But if you want to get in on the mailbag, I think that now means we're through March. Just to let you know where we're where we're at on the mailbag. Uh also, and lastly, uh OG's taking clients. So if you're looking for better financial help, no risk parity funds. Yes, just a whole bunch of those. Head to uh stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G for more. All right, Doug. Uh, man, what should we've learned today? So what did we learn today? One, planning on reaching that goal early? Let compounding interest do the work. And if you love your job and don't think you'll ever change, at the very least, plan for flexibility. While we might want things to stay the same, nobody knows how they'll feel in 10 years. B, diversification depends on your goals. By starting with the end in mind, you'll be able to much more easily figure out which investments meet that time frame. It'll save you time researching investments that don't make sense and help you avoid a potentially goal-killing error. But the big lesson? I don't think I can emphasize this point enough. This stuff called Crisco should never, 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 I mean never, be used as sunblock. Do, don't touch me. Don't. No, 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 no. Don't. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Hey, big thanks to everyone who wrote in with notes to today's show. Hoping to have us answer your question? Try stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and you'll skip the long line of letters that are waiting. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. 
There's no way you would take advice from these dorks. But like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Big thanks to whomever invented aloe. Man, I just love you. I love you. Man, I've seen just a ton of movies, so we're going to just crank on movie trailers. OG, this one uh, I saw just this last week. It's called Upgrade. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. I could find this man. I do. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No, only you. May I point something out? In the drone surveillance footage, Sir Bradner, Marine Corps, address 414 Citrus, New Craft. We'll need a plan. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well thought out plan. I need your permission to operate independently. Permission granted! Thank you. Permission granted. So this little thing gets implanted into this paraplegic after he gets shot and his spine is severed and his wife is murdered right in front of him. He thinks he can never walk again until this billionaire says, hey, I've got this thing. They put it inside of him. And as you heard, uh, the thing helps him with its bionic. I don't know what you call it. It's super ability to uh, think better, to uh, to extrapolate evidence better, starts unraveling exactly what was going on when he was paralyzed and his wife was murdered. And uh, that's such a funny scene when he's getting his butt kicked by the first bad guy and Stem says, I need your permission to operate independently. <laughs> permission granted. And he proceeds to uh, light up the dude without... <laughs> He's standing there and and I love the look on on the guy's face as he's kicking his butt because he has no idea what his arms and legs are doing. He has no control over them. The little machine in his body is doing all the work while he's just a passenger watching him kick the crap out of some <laughs> bad guy. This That's kind of how I feel when I uh, get into bar fights. I'm just a passenger just kicking the crap out of people. I have no idea what my arms and legs are doing. No idea. They're just... They're just going like haymakers left and right. Too bad the officers don't believe that for a minute. I've got this implant. <laughs> they took control of my body. I've got no idea. No. Yeah. The implant's called Woodford Reserve. <laughs> it's called Johnny Walker, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh uh, Woody. Woody got lodged in my brain again. <laughs> and I got out my hitting arms. I love it when a movie takes me by surprise. So I didn't know a lot about this movie. I'd seen one trailer. I thought the trailer looked really good. Uh, I'm also a fan of science fiction that's kind of near term. The city is being patrolled by drones, drone footage. Uh, watch this happen. And uh, you've self-driving cars. You've got stuff that's close enough to what's going on in real life now that it feels almost like now, but just a little bit ahead, maybe 20, 25 years in the future. Just just a, a fascinating science fiction movie, action film. 
I usually am not a big fan of action films because I think they're all pretty rote. Like it's just the same, the same script over and over again. This is a neat whodunit action on the edge of my seat for an hour and 40 minutes. They call it sci-fi horror. I don't know that it's horror, uh, but man, I was, I was there. I was in it, loved it. Thought this movie just bowled me over. Loved Upgrade. Big fan of this movie, OG. Okay, maybe I'll check it out. My uh, my summer blockbuster time is coming down range now because, you know, all the movies that aren't worth a darn come out in June and July. All the movies that I like to see, like Equalizer 2 and... Uh, Sicario 2 coming. coming. Sicario 2, oh my goodness. Sicario yeah. 2 looks really good. Sicario 1 didn't look good to me. I've been told by you and other people I have to see it, and I still you, now, now you I want to see it. it. Oh, you got to watch that before you see the second one. Yeah, well... There's so, going to be enough crossover that you're going to... I mean, just uh, just telling them the previews. I can the trailers them. for Sicario 2 look so good. It looks, yeah. looks so good. I like the I like the plot with the girl. I think that's an interesting, um, interesting throwing the kid in the mix. So, well, there was a girl in the first one too, as a matter of fact. So how about that? Fantastic. Thank you, by the way, for pointing that out. Emily Blunt. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Uh, go see upgrade though. Seriously. This is, this is your kind of movie, OG. All right. Can do. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.